So I don't know if round two was fully and completely rescued last night in the okay. Stanley Cup playoffs. But if the Leafs had it lost helped. <laughs> and the Oilers had lost, uh, we'd be looking elsewhere for content. <laughs> we that would be rough. looking elsewhere for content for sure. Yeah, that would have been rough. Yeah, so uh, that Leafs didn't are, happen. Leafs are still alive. Uh, Oilers are looking real dangerous. Uh, and they're 2-2 with the Vegas Golden Knights. So we have uh, at least some hockey. For sure, this weekend to dive into some important hockey and to tee up. Not that on Saturday night. But Im- yes. Important hockey. Well, I we got a couple games. To tee up that important hockey, we have ESPN's Greg Wyshynski on the line. Good morning, Greg. Speaking of diving, people frantically diving into the trash <laughs> to get those parade plans, uncrinkling <laughs> yeah. the paper on the, play- on the parade route as we speak. It's amazing. Yeah, I think it went through the shredder too. So they got the, 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 the tape is out and they're trying to put together uh, the, uh, the sentences <laughs> that were once formed uh, when putting together that route. Uh, do you consider that a breakthrough for the Toronto Maple Leafs, Greg? I consider it to be a really stout defensive performance in front of a rookie goalie who did his part too. And if they do it three more times <laughs> and, <laughs> and the Panthers don't get the kind of Herculean performance from their most important line that they've gotten in the past, who's to say? But, you know, I, I, I would have felt a little bit better about all of this going forward if the Panthers didn't find a way to beat Wall. Like, mm. I feel like if they had gotten into, you know what I mean? Like, yep. if they had gotten into game five with the sort of we have an impenetrable rookie vibe to go along with everything else that went right in that game, like the core four playing as well as they did and everything else. Then I feel like we, it, the momentum would be rolling even a little bit harder than it is. But look, I mean, like uh, sarcasm aside, I mean, why not? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not as if the Panthers have ever been here before. Um, you know, it's not as if the Panthers haven't, you know, haven't exuded a lot of energy, exerted a lot of energy in the last couple of weeks in, in the, in the games they've played against really tough opponents. Um, and it, it's who's to say that, you know, the Leafs can't find a groove much like the Panthers have in the playoffs. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to like give you false hope or anything, but stranger things have happened. And, and if they play as well as they did last night, who's to say, this won't surprise you, but uh, your your opinion on the Leafs will not impact my false hope one way or another because nothing can. They won literally one game wish. I'm all the way back in uh, with this team, but you're right. Why not? I mean, a big part of the the Panthers' success, not just in this series, but going back to Boston, was goaltending. It wasn't just that Sergei Bobrovsky was playing okay. It wasn't just that he was playing well. He's playing the best he had ever played as a Florida Panther in consecutive games. And I wonder if you're starting to see a little bit of that go the other way. You know, we know goaltending is streaky. We know that goaltender is really streaky. As much as we look at the Leafs and about what they can do in the next potentially three games to do the unthinkable. How much of it is going to come down to Bobrovsky needed to come back down to earth a little bit as well. Okay. You had me until we started criticizing Bobrovsky because that dude was amazing <laughs> last night. Again. Like he was, he was not the reason why the Panthers are now uh, unable to close out this series. I mean, if anything, he was the reason they had a chance to um, No, I, I think what you're going to see from Florida and from Paul Maurice is probably some tactical changes because the Leafs for the last two games, the Leafs have been blocking a lot of shots and, and, and doing a really good job of it. It's sort of undermined a lot of the things the Panthers try to do well, especially trying to get their D involved in the play. I thought the Leafs did a really good job in, in not allowing those chances last night. 
Um, so they're going to have to figure out something tactically to get around what the Leafs are doing defensively in these last two games. Um, and then, and then we'll see what the response is from Toronto when that happens. But the, the constant in these four games has been Bob. And, and I thought he was, again, you know, it, it got a little, a little chaotic on the game winner because he didn't have a stick and he didn't get reset before Marner shot that puck. That's and, what I'm, that's what I mean, I'm selling myself on. I'm like, eh, looked a little wobbly when it went through. It wasn't exactly beating him clean, but yeah, there's a, there, there's a lot of variables I, around that as well. I got I got to I got to go back to how that play. I don't think that was an oops, butterfingers play by Bob. I'm sure there's a reason he didn't have a stick, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, like, I think, I think otherwise last night he was, he was as good as he's been. And, and the, I mean, the save on Tavares and, and the, you know, the other stuff that he did in the second period after the Leafs took the lead uh, is the only reason why the Panthers even had a, a fight and chance to tie that game last night. So, Wish, we've obviously reached a crisis point here with the core four and the implications and consequences of getting swept, the, you know, giving away what you gained in round one with the series victory over the Tampa Bay Lightning. All eyes are on these guys. All eyes and I guess ears are on these guys, too, you know, sort of breaking down what they're saying and how they're acting on the ice. Uh, it was, I think Mitch Marner maybe top of mind. I mean, you could go the positive route and be like, wow, William Needlander really stepped up last night. But uh, Mitch Marner had an interesting game because it looked almost like a demonstration early for him. It's like, yeah, you think I don't throw my weight around? Here are four hits. That's not really what I do, though. But here are four hits anyway. And then he scores the goal, which it's got to be, it's got to be considered somewhat fortunate. I mean, he's throwing a puck on net from the blue line. But that's the, that sort of thing, that sort of positivity can really transform Mitch Marner. We've seen that in the past where things are going poorly. All of a sudden he gets a break and then he's a different guy. When you look at this core four, what stands out as like an issue? What stands out as something that like needs to change? And what stands out as like a real area of improvement of something that could happen to really take this team beyond, you know, forcing a game five, maybe going six or seven or potentially even winning this series? I don't know. I just thought it was funny that like Marner's getting all this criticism about being a peripheral player. And then he scores from the blue line. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's kind, of, kind of like if he's going to score, I guess that's going to be how it is. Right. Based on my criticism. Um, no, I, you know, listen, Willie's been great. I think Tavares obviously has had his moments. I'll, I'll always be someone who never really believed they needed to give him that contract. But I mean, he's here, he's fine. He does what he needs to do. And then Matthews, I thought was was an active participant last night, if if not you know supremely effective uh, on the scoreboard. Um, you know, Barner's always going to be the one who I think rightfully gets called out and rightfully gets questioned as to like, you know, what. And I know they had a, he had a pretty good opening to the game last night, but like what what he does and whether that translates to the playoffs. And the one example that's come up a few times, and I think it's an interesting one, is the idea that like when the Panthers made the Kachuk trade. Yeah, they ran into some good fortune. I mean, dude wanted to go play in South Florida. And so, you know, that's that's great for them. But you still have to give to get. And they gave up Jonathan Huberto for this guy. And and part of the justification was, as good as Huberto's regular season numbers are and can be, we don't think that he's the kind of player that we need to really make hay in the playoffs. And, you know, through most of this postseason, um, they've been right. Because Kachuk's been great. And, and Kachuk has given them a completely different dimension than what Huberto gave him. And so like I talked to Merrick about this yesterday, like the idea of you can import toughness and import playoff savvy all you want in guys like Felino, you know, last mm-hmm. year and then, you know, O'Reilly and, and this year and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, like your core players need to embody that. And I do think it's a fair criticism and a fair question as to whether or not Martyr will ever embody that.
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's funny. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I've got in front of me, I'm seeing at the end of the Oilers game last night, and there is no bigger compare and contrast of do these guys embody it than the Leafs core versus what you see out of McDavid and Dreisaitl. You know, Dreisaitl gets maimed by Petrangelo. We'll ask you your opinion on that in a second. But who goes at him? It's not Evander Kane. It is not Zach Hyman. No, it's Connor McDavid mm-hmm. who steps up to defend him. And God love Austin Matthews. And I have spent a ton of time defending him for this. But it is one thing that drives me nuts is that it doesn't exactly act like he's 6'3", 225 in all of these scrums. And it's just, it goes back to the idea of can you import this stuff in? And, you know, there is no bigger kind of exhibit A versus exhibit B than when I look at the Leafs core and you look at those two guys in Edmonton. Yeah. And then, my God, like Jack Hughes tried to fight Sebastian yeah. Ajo. I mean, like, like there's so other cute. guys that kind of do the same <laughs> thing too. And, 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 and Jack Hughes is like, you know, 90 pounds. So it's, uh, you're right. I mean, there, there's a certain amount of that streak that you find in certain players. And it's also just like all, more to the point, though, about like the Marner Kachuk comparison. It's also just the ability to kind of score those goals when your time and space disappears and you're getting knocked around like a pinball and and, you know, full marks to Marner. I thought he had a really good game last night and, and that goal is, is huge. But I, I still, you know, give mind and give time to some of the questions about if the Leafs go out again in five, let's say, like whether or not you have to start really examining of where he fits into this into this scheme of trying to win in the postseason. Uh, Morgan Riley seems to have emerged as an interesting case study because I think if you were looking at the most valuable player for the Maple Leafs throughout these playoffs, I would probably go Riley. I mean, you could definitely quibble with a couple and uh, come up with a couple other answers, but I think from a consistency standpoint, he's been the best player for the Maple Leafs through two rounds or at least parts of two rounds. Uh, but he was a problem in the regular season. He was an issue. We were talking about, hey, that bargain contract that you got from him, him given back, well, you shouldn't even have taken it because he looks like he's a, uh, you know, he's on the back nine and he's going to be a diminishing asset uh, sooner than later. But it's making me rethink, you know, kind of what we see in the regular season a little bit. And Leon Dreisaitl's done this a little bit too because you can point to Leon's uh, regular season uh, underlying numbers and be like, oh, brutal defensive player. And then what, what does he do when he's in the playoffs? He's, an, uh, he's next level. He's almost unstoppable. Have we, like, learned something between these two guys about evaluating during the regular season and how much more the playoff actually matters when thinking about a player's overall contributions or most important contributions? I'll tell you what, what dry saddle wasn't last night. A guy who got four shots, which killed my prop bet, but uh, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. <laughs> like for, first time in the playoffs, he didn't have at least three shots on goal. Of course, that's the time I pick him. Um, no, I, I, you're right though. Like, you know, I thought, I thought, I think Riley's great. I mean, I think Riley, when you, we did a con Smythe watch before the second round and then Riley was in my top 10, just by, by steadying presence that he was and, and the, the con- consistently good play that he gives you every game. And, and you're right. I mean, it, if you judge them based on regular season metrics, you wouldn't have expected it, but, but full marks to him. And, and I guess that's like a positive thing at the end of the day, that there is the possibility of a Leafs having not the greatest regular season, but leveling up, uh, you know, significantly in the playoffs. And it's not something we often see, but it's definitely what we've seen from Raleigh this year. Yeah, I didn't actually know that that was possible. It's it's a very very interesting <laughs> development that we've we've seen this year. All kidding aside, he's been the one guy who has actually done this kind of year over year. Nice to see him rewarded uh, with, with an appearance in the second round. And who knows? Like you said, uh, anything can happen between now and then. Uh, game five tomorrow night. Uh, it's fan morning show. Brent Gunning, Justin Cuthbert here talking to Greg Wyshynski. Uh, let, let's talk about that Oilers uh, Vegas Golden Knights series. This isn't a question. It's just a statement. 
I want to kiss it on the mouth. There's superstars there. They're fighting. It's physical. There's tons of goals. It's back and forth. This is everything we want in a playoff series. Is it not, Wish? Yeah, it's nastiness. It's it's the back and forth of it all. It's it's teams having dramatic swings and momentum. Um, it's great. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's the, it's the kind of series the second round has been lacking, uh, and maybe we'll, we'll get there with the Leafs, but um, it's been a heck of a ride. You you brought up the dry saddle thing with with Petrangelo, and like that's going to be a real tough one. I mean. I think he deserves more than a game, but that being said, it doesn't seem like Drysaddle's injured, which is always kind of a factor in how player safety evaluates these things. And remember, they you have to use the playoff multiplier. So if he does that slash and Drysaddle's not hurt, is it w- would that be four games in the regular season? And I don't know if it would be. And so at the end of the day, what these guys will probably do, and remember, I'm like a Supreme Court reporter when it comes to player safety. Like I've been covering these guys for like since Shanahan started the department, I bet they give, I bet the, 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 the nurse um, automatic one game suspension for the instigator stands. And that's not player safety. That's hockey ops that has to decide that. I bet they let that stand. And I bet they give Petrangelo uh, one game. Okay. And, and so both, both teams lose their guy and may the best team win. And I, I, I think that's kind of where they'll go. But I, I think, I mean, honestly, like if you're going by intent, and throwing out the notion that there wasn't an injury, he should get two. Like, that was unconscionable. He skated over to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, like... It looked like he was they, trying I mean, to behead him. Like, I know he didn't target the head, but that was a beheading-type swing, Wish. Yeah, and as you guys know, like, I'm a, I'm a fan of a certain age. Like, I remember when Adam <laughs> Graves pulled that on, on, on Mary Lemieux in the 1990s, and, like, it became a, a national debate as to like what the punishment should end up being for, for trying to injure the, the best player in the playoffs. And that's what dry has been. So like from an intense standpoint, it definitely should be more than one game from a results standpoint. I bet it's one game and I bet it's just like both teams lose their, one of their best defensemen and, and it's a wash is how it'll probably play out, which is not going to set well, obviously with, with Oilers fans. No, but it would be an incredibly unjust if Darnell nurse's suspension, which is automatic held and Alex Petrangelo got away with nothing. I mean, that would be completely, completely unjust. This is all. Uh, oh, yeah. They, I, I haven't seen, I, I, I was, I checked right before we got on. I haven't seen the tweet to see if he's gotten a, a hearing yet, but like, he's got to have one. Like if this, if this comes out that it's, another maximum allowable yeah. under the CBA fine. Like I'm, I'm the, I'm, I'm the staunchest defender of, of player safety. I think they do a, a much better job than a lot of people do, but you've got to suspend for this one. Like this is, this is the play that you have. You exist to suspend for is for an intentional play in which you're trying to injure a star player. Like, I mean, it's, it's the most obvious thing that you should suspend for. Uh, if the Oilers are at a 10 out of 10 wish, which I think they were for the most part in yesterday's first period, at least, are they beatable? Oh God, yeah, they're beatable. Have you? <laughs> they don't defend. Like, oh, well, like, they didn't have to defend in the first period. And I mean, when they are at their best, is what the question is. If they are at their absolute best, can anyone hang with them? Yes, because like eventually they're going to run into Carolina, right? And then like they're going to play in Raleigh, and those guys will have no space, and they'll get smothered for three periods. And then, like, Jack Drury scores the game-winning goal. Like, there are definitely <laughs> ways in which you can see the Edmonton Oilers losing in these playoffs. And, and, but, I mean, again, like, when, when they get their, their time and space, when they get their power play opportunities, 
um, they, they can overwhelm you. And that's, I mean, I picked them to win the cup before the season for a reason, which is that eventually two generational talents find a way to drag their team to a cup. And I felt like this could be the year with the avalanche diminished. And, you know, I, I was betting the field against the Bruins. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I did, obviously didn't know before the season, the Bruins were going to be the Bruins, but mm-hmm. like, I, I didn't think that there was a team that was really going to be able to like dominate the league. And with that lane being open, I thought Connor and Leon had the lane. And so far, I mean, I, I think they still do. It's just that we have to remember that they're not out of the woods yet. And how we feel about this team when, when we're asking questions of like, can they be beaten when they're on their game? Well, they're not always on their game. They weren't on their yeah. game in game three. And we all thought, and we all thought this series was going to be a quickie after game two. And we all kind of probably feel like it's going to be done in six after game four, but Oh yeah. The Knights keep on coming back and like giving these incredible efforts when, when it looks like the chips are down. And, and so as good as the Oilers looked yesterday, they also looked really good after game two, and then we saw them just get absolutely rolled in game three. Yeah, that's the issue. I mean, their performance is subject to change, but, uh, man, I, I, I got to give Ken Holland credit, and I've been one of the last people to do that. Uh, the way he's made them big and <laughs> It's a long physical, line of people dying to be lasting line to give him credit. He, he's made some really good moves to make them, like, an absolute terror to play against, and they punished Vegas's, uh defense on the forecheck last night, it's certainly in the first period, and it looks like it's going to be a load for anyone to handle but you nailed it with Carolina I mean the path is definitely cleared for them and we were talking about you know Boston going out and Tampa going out to Toronto what that might mean to Toronto and how they have this open pathway to an Eastern Conference final and maybe to a Stanley Cup final but Carolina seeing Boston lose Carolina seeing Tampa lose Carolina seeing the Rangers get taken care of I mean the path has opened up maybe in the Eastern Conference best for them would you see it the same way yeah, and, you know, there's a lot we're going to learn about the Hurricanes once they get past the Devils. By the way, I think the Devils might win game five. The Devils have a funny way of, like, winning when the expectations are completely off of them and from when they're, like, punching under from underneath. And, and I feel like that's one of those games tonight. I know so. a team like that, Wish. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The Devil, the Devil, by the way, the, the, my favorite stat of the postseason so far is the Devils and the games in which they've lost, the mar- the, they've been outscored 32-7. to seven because they get so boo-boo faced when they get down by two goals, they just like give up, they stop playing. And so like, that's when they lose, they really lose. Um, but when they, when I, they're, when they don't have expectations on them, they play really well. So I have a feeling this might go six. I don't think they'll win this series, but I have a feeling it might go six. But the thing about the hurricanes is that we're all going to have to learn a bit about them when they get through the series, because when we started the postseason, the story was they don't have Patchy ready and they don't have Svechnikov. And then they lost Tara Vine in two games into the Islander series. And we're like, who is going to score goals? And then lo and behold, not only are the, they the highest scoring postseason team that Brenda Moore's ever coached, they're, they're scoring almost a goal per game better than the previous best offensive team he's ever coached in the playoffs. And they're doing it with, by committee. They're getting amazing performances from guys like Martinook, um, you know, who's got nine points in the second round. It, it's, it's been a, a real fun thing to watch. And it's been one of those teams where there's been a different hero every night. You know, like Kakniami had a, a two goals in game two, I think it was. And then Nate just scores two goals in game four. Stasny scores the, the series winner against the Islanders. Like, they're just getting a different hero every night in that lineup offensively, and it makes them really tough to play. And I don't know if this is like Bill Simmons' Ewing theory where you take Patchy Reddy and stretch the cough out of the lineup and then everyone plays better because of it. Um, but it's something like that because their their offense is coming from all over the place right now. They're kind of like Seattle, and it shouldn't be a surprise that there's a little bit of like Ron Francis DNA in both teams. 
Yeah, it's uh, they, they feel like one of these miracle playoff teams. Like when you think back of yesteryear of all these teams that make these runs, it's a pretty good team that gets guys performing out of their head. And yeah, I'm 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 with you there on the uh, the Ewing theory potential. Although for real Ewing theory in in Carolina, something would have to happen to Rob Brindamore because he basically is the franchise at this point. Like greatest player leading the greatest era of team. Uh, well, I know they want to cut back then, but it's uh, it's truly remarkable uh, what what he's been able to do. Uh, you you mentioned the Kraken Stars here. I'll quickly get you to weigh in on that. Uh, the Kraken, they have somehow found a way, a lot of speed. We were talking to your buddy Jeff, I think it was yesterday, if not two days ago, and he was hammering that home of just speed, speed, speed. It kills, and it has been what's uh, kept the Kraken afloat. Uh, what are you made of Ottinger's struggles in that series and, and where we're at now? Dad, I'm glad you pointed out Ottinger because I do think that despite him getting a lot of praise for the way that game four went, like if you look inside his numbers, he's been – Underexpected in every good. game of this series. Yeah. And so it's been kind of interesting to see that play out because if you told me that Dallas was like 2 2 in a series in the second round, I would say, okay, then Ottinger is playing extraordinarily well and he's, he's not. Um, you know, De- De- Seattle's been able to do it with depth. They're another team that seems to get a different hero every night when they need one, whether it's Gord or Bjorkstrand or, you know, whomever, Everly. Like they, they just they just have guys step up and, and do really magical things. But now we've got some cracks in Grubauer, and that's going to be the real issue is, you know, coming into the playoffs, their goaltending was trending in the wrong direction. Um, Grubauer has the, you know, revenge tour series against the Avalanche and plays well, and then he plays well in the first couple games of the series. Uh, but if they don't have that goaltending, then they become very ordinary. Um, and so I, I worry about that a little bit going forward in this series. And meanwhile, like, I love, the Stars were always a team that I thought was going to at least play for a conference championship because of, you know, how good they can be offensively and how dynamic they can be and how, you know, Haskinen kind of like calms everything down to the back end, especially when he plays like 30 minutes like he did in game four. Um, so Dallas, that was a that was a statement win for them in game four. And I, and I wonder if, if now they're going to maybe like really put the pedal down on, on the Kraken in game five and, and, and put them under, behind the eight ball because they looked they looked like themselves again in game four. But again, just like the Vegas series, it's like every other game, it feels like we're saying that about Dallas or we're saying something different about Seattle and then the next game rewrites the narrative. Uh, Wish, I'm trying to piece together the Con Smythe puzzle uh, as we go here, and it's wide open. You just missed your chance to bet on either Leon or Connor because they were at about nine, uh, uh, <laughs> nine or ten to one, uh, and I'm surely they're the favorites now. But two teams that have me stumped a little bit are Dallas and Carolina. So if those two teams go to a Stanley Cup final, win a Stanley Cup, as of now, who would be getting the individual credit for those two teams? So you go, I think you go blue line on both. I mean, I think we're sure we're sure Brindamore can't win it for Carolina. They can't (laughs) give it to him. We're sure. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's always a chance that he wrenched on it at some point, (laughs) decides to suit up as like their fourth line center. I mean, that's not the man's in shape. Um, You know, Haskinen, I think has the narrative right now um, as being maybe their most important player, especially with the way he played in game four. I mean, he's got eight points. He's played well. He's, he's logging a ton of minutes. Rupe Hintz is probably the other player on, on Dallas right now that you look at and say, okay, this guy's got a lane to MVP. And then, you know, depending on, I, I, you know, if, if they reunite the top line for perpetuity, in perpetuity with Pavelski, with Hintz and, and, uh, and Robertson, then maybe it could be Pavelski. I mean, we're all kind of still in awe of the way he played, you know, in the previous round. Uh, as far as the, the Hurricanes, I've, I covered them now for two rounds. I covered the Islander series, and now I've covered this double series. And i got to say that, like, you could make a real case for either Slavin or Brent Burns. And, and in both cases, they're, they're great choices. Slavin obviously, you know, is, 
renowned for being one of the best defensive defensemen in the NHL. Burns has been awesome. Like he's been a steadying presence. He's been an active participant on the power play. He's getting his shot totals as per usual and his shot attempt uh, totals as per usual. But he's also played like really good defensively too. And it's, it's kind of amazing to think that, you know, they had Dougie Hamilton there. He leaves, they, you know, tried to replicate that vibe with Tony D'Angelo to their detriment. And, and then, and then they're like, let's just go get Brent Burns and, <laughs> and they get him, And he fits, he fits so perfectly in that system that Brendan Moore coaches. Um, and, uh, and he's been remarkable for them. So I would say those three guys with the, with the caveat that it could be Rupe Hens and, you know, if Ottinger finds his game, there's always going to be a lot of people fanboying for Ottinger too. Um, but I would say those three are like the ones I'd keep my eye on. Yeah, Caroline is really interesting that way. But our guy, Elliot Friedman, who's maybe felt a little bad because he left Brent Burns off his Norris uh, ballot, uh, mentioned on the air that he thinks, you know, he's in the driver's seat for the Conn Smythe for Carolina. And I immediately rushed to bet Brent Burns. So I'm, I'm on the Brent Burns train <laughs> as well, because when Elliot speaks, like, I listen. I said I said this to Merrick yesterday. Like, <laughs> we're all going to have buyer's remorse from the Norris. The, the, the field was so crowded this year. Like, I... I had I had Hampus Lindholm on my ballot. I had Rasmus Dahlin on my ballot. If you told me I'm wrong because it should be Burns and Aiskinen, that's fine. I'll tell you you're wrong because we're all right. Like there's like ten guys besides Carlson and Fox that belong on the ballot, and you know the only one that's really kind of debatable is McCarr based on you know the amount of games he played. Otherwise, he's definitely one of the top five defensemen in the league this year. So yeah, I, was, I don't know. There was no wrong, there was no wrong answer about the Norris other than trying to like put. Carlson's fifth because he didn't play defense. Right, right. I, I, I was surprised to see McCarr there. Does all the indecision, like we've, we have Frank on every week. He, I think he voted uh, Hampus Lindholm. I'm not sure he's even supposed to tell anyone that because I thought that was his rule, but I think he voted him number one. Does all that, <laughs> does all that indecision uh, mean that Eric Carlson just wins? Eric Carlson will win for sure. But like, by the way, the rule is, if I, if I remember correctly, you can list them alphabetically. You just can't give your list one to five because if, uh, again, as an internet old, I do, I do believe the problem was that Tyler Dello, now uh, an executive with the New Jersey Devils, which is again weird, uh, took took the top fives that everybody put out and then extrapolated who won every award using his blogger algorithms was the issue. So you can mm. you can say who you voted for, you just can't say where you voted them. I think is the thing. And I had Lindholm on mine too. I thought he was great. I mean, especially early on when McAvoy was hurt. Like I thought. He was one of the, the best defensemen in the league. Um, but again, no, no wrong answers other than if you really, like, if you left Carlson off your ballot or you didn't have him in your top three. I mean, put some respect on one of the greatest offensive seasons we've seen since, like, the early 90s. I think there's, there's and again, like, I, the thing that sticks with me about Carlson is that somebody told me that, that knows him a little bit, look, if he was on a team that required him to play defense, he'd play defense but they don't want him to. (laughs) So there's that. Yeah, it's uh, certainly something there, man. Uh, Tyler Dello, I remember uh, bringing him upstairs to record Americ versus Wyshynski with you guys, and uh, look how far we've come. (laughs) I'm still working here. You're still working in hockey, and he's an exec with the devil. So I don't know. Maybe we should have listened to more that he had to say, Wish. Uh, Really, really loved uh, getting you on today. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. There he goes, Greg Wyshynski, ESPN. Always love uh, get, getting Wish on there. Uh, somebody who saw a lot of the Florida Panthers. I'm just, I'm just taking the car keys from you, Justin. I'm driving this bus now. Uh, somebody who saw a lot of the Florida Panthers in the first round, 
Billy Jaffe. Saw a lot of the Boston Bruins as well. The good news is the Leafs won't have to see any of them. The bad news is they're down 3-1 to those very Panthers. Jaffe will join us next. Let us know what the recipe is to beat that team. How susceptible are they? And do the Leafs really have a chance? Jaffe joins us next. Also, 595-90 on the text line. Wake and rake. We need submissions. Let's go. Ron and Jules, you're on a plane. I don't care. We need some submissions for Wake and Rake. Get them in. Text line 595-90. Include your name and location. Billy Jaffe's coming up next. It's a fan morning show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Final block, Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin Cuthbert, and Brent Gunning this morning. Reminder to get your wake and rake selections in. We continue to flirt with victory. We I, needed, we needed I did an empty us net. dirty. We I needed did an empty dirty net last night. We got a little, gre- that's little okay. greedy. A little greedy. That's all right. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I hate throwing out a minus number. I do. Like, <laughs> come on. We could all pick a favorite. We could. We could. I once I generally do. I won't name. I went on a, a a pod once doing some picks, and I got just smoked for taking like a minus two hundred favorite. This is like too good, apparently. Mm. So yeah, I like to, those are the parameters. Like to get some value. Minus two hundred, you can't. You no, can't I, play. Look, you pitch whatever you want if you're confident about it. I'm just saying. Minus. I personally like to get a little juice. All right, let's bring in our next guest, Billy Jaffe of the NHL Network, also working on Bruins broadcast, so knows a lot about the Florida Panthers. Good morning, Billy. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing okay. Obviously, uh, this uh, we've been kind of eulogizing all week. This could have been a very <laughs> somber morning, but the Leafs give us uh, at least one more game to talk about and to break down both before and after, and it's because they were able to get a survival game four victory over the Florida Panthers. Um, so you saw three one Panthers team come back and and beat the Boston Bruins. This isn't the same situation, but Florida has been kind of coast not coasting. Florida has been riding the wave of hey, we're the under dogs no pressure here we're not supposed to win we're just here to have fun maybe not here for a good time uh but just for a short time um but florida now is the favorite there are expectations now tied with this florida team do you think that affected them at all in game four um i don't know if those expectations affected them in game four i thought the play of the toronto maple Leafs impacted them more than anything um, but they didn't look great. Meanwhile, they didn't look great in the entire series against the Bruins. But at times, they just, you know, games three and games four, the Bruins were the, I would say, at least better, if not much better team in Florida winning those games. And it was when they just got back to their kind of carefree hockey is when they played better. But I thought Toronto played real well last night, um, did what they had to do, whatever hockey cliche you want to throw out there, right? Did, uh, didn't mess around the puck, pucks in deep, got them out, all that stuff which they hadn't been doing before. But I don't think the pressure yet. Now, maybe in the next, if, if Toronto plays real well and wins again at home coming up tomorrow, and then, yeah, I think there's a, that's big-time pressure then on Florida they haven't felt in a long time. So, you know, looking at this series, a lot of it, and again, not to take complete credit away from Florida, but a lot of what we've been focused on here is what the Leafs haven't been doing. Again, Florida has done things that have allowed them to beat the Bruins and have the lead they have I'm in this laughing. series. I- 
I'm only laughing because we went through the same, yeah. <laughs> the same thing in Boston for the entire series. But yes, I'll, I'll, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's fine. Because, <laughs> because, because if, you saying that makes me ask you the question really easy. So what do they do well? Because it's not nothing. They didn't get here just by accident. It wasn't two teams falling on their face to allow the Panthers to be in this position. What is it that they do do well? I know they got a great goaltending, but it's got to be more than or a great goalie. But it's got to be more than that. Uh, it's got to be more than just that, yeah. Billy. Bobrovsky was unbelievable a couple of games ago against the Leafs, and that was hands down by far his best performance of the entire playoffs. It wasn't that he didn't steal. He didn't steal games against the Bruins. Neither did Alex Lyon, but they made, again, hockey cliche. They made the saves when they needed them, okay? And there's something to be said for that because the Bruins sure didn't get saves when they needed them, no. all right? So there's, there's that. So uh, what does Florida do? Um, they play old, what I call old-time hockey in the sense of their, their systems. Uh, Two-man aggressive forecheck, one, uh, taking away the walls. First guy, F1, is incredibly disruptive gets in there, they use the back of the net to change the side of, the, the side of attack real well, and they spread out teams in their own zone, in, in the uh, offenses, when they're in the offensive zone. They did that really well. But more than anything that I thought was more impressive, I guess, than even that, I mean, they're, they're, their forecheck creates chaos stuff, and that breaks down teams, and that makes them rush into, you know, turnovers. But I thought their neutral zone was better than I, what I expected it to be. Um, again, it wasn't perfect. And, you know, you did, I mean, I look at that D crew and I'm still kind of flummoxed that the Bruins lost and, and the Leafs are having a harder time with it. But I feel like in the neutral zone, these guys have played better than I was going to give them credit for. They stopped, they shut down enough plays against the Bruins. And again, in the neutral zone, they created enough pressure to that uh, they, they caused the opponent into making some turnovers that are ill-advised. And we keep saying it, I'm sure, Leaf Nation is saying it as well. Like, we didn't see that in the regular season. Where's this coming from? But that's what happens when you put a guy under pressure like that. From what I saw from the Boston-Florida series, it seemed a little bit too wide open, like that played into Florida's hand just a little bit. At least they'd have those counter opportunities. At least they could try to hurt you in transition. And I think the Leafs, they didn't necessarily fall into that trap where it was like, hey, this is run and gun. This is where we want to be. But how they beat Tampa and how they beat Florida in game four, very, very similar, right? Like it was it was a yeah. real staunch defensive effort. They were staying behind the puck. They were waiting for their opportunities. Is that just how you have to play against Florida? Like somehow they've, they've figured all this out and you're right about the defensive core how is it not more exploitable it just hasn't been and if you play that like really really that playoff hockey that that uh defensive scheme and structure and really really diligent that way with the five-man game is that really the only way through now that we've seen florida as much as we have for the most part i think that's truly the only way through for a long run in the playoffs no matter regardless of who your team is facing um, Florida, you know, they're really getting the, the, the sunshine down them, pun intended right now, because they're, they're beating these very high, uh, recognizable, high-level high teams, high-quality high teams, um, big city teams. And, yeah, that's how, you know, you got to play that way in the playoffs in general. Last night, you know, I, I watching the game and seeing five Leafs in the screen regularly, Seeing two guys, you know, uh, back pressure, pushing a skater into defense and making it, making it seem much easier, at least for the defenseman, right? Because they can gap up when guys are coming back. Seeing some guys, you know, pressure the Florida Panthers into getting rid of the puck. And by the way, the Panthers are I go back to kind of that old school mentality. They are not afraid at all. I, we got we, we stopped tracking the amount of times the Panthers dumped the puck against the Bruins because that's all they kept doing <laughs> for the most part, except except off of those transitional 
those major gap turnovers, then they would, like you guys talked about, they would take advantage of wider open hockey. But, um, yeah, in general, guys, you, you got to play that way to be successful in the playoffs. If you, you know, we're, I'm seeing it uh, with the New Jersey Devils, too, right? When they were hard against the Rangers in our game against Carolina, when they were all there, great. But when they start cycling away from the puck and looking for the breakout, the uh, breakaways and the cleaner, easier breakouts and all that stuff, that, that's when you're gapped out. That's, that's when issues begin in the playoffs. There's been a lot of talk in this market specifically about the coaching matchup. Keith versus Cooper in round one and former Leaf coach Maurice back in town. How much at this time of year does coaching impact things? I mean, obviously the answer isn't zero, but the players are going to have the bulk of, of the impact. You know, uh, obviously uh, everything that happened with Montgomery seems like the runaway winner for coach of the year, but how much was that a focus uh, in the conversation surrounding Boston's round one loss? Like how much does it matter at this this time of year, Billy? Uh, I think it does matter uh, and with regard to changes that are made, you know, with regard to game to game, um, whether it's lineup tweaks, uh, X and O alterations. Um, I do, I do think it matters. Jim Montgomery, you know, he was, he was very open the other day in, in the Bruins postseason media about, how he felt he failed the team in a couple of ways. You know, he, he didn't elevate their game. He called him fully called himself out in their postseason media. And um, so while the players absolutely have to be the ones we know in the end that all go out there and play, I mean, line combinations. And again, that was something that, that, that Jim called himself out on in game five for the Bruins said, you know, he did too much instead of going back to really what he knew, you know, which, what, what he felt would have worked. Um, but I think coaching can have a big impact. It's a one-game series, as we call it, during the regular season, in and out, is much easier for a team to play in, in a one-off type game, right? Like you're in, you're out, you, you just plan that one game for a team. But over the course of two weeks and seven games, I think coaching has a bigger impact because the other team can make adjustments too. It's not just a one-and-done game or one-and-done game series. It is a seven-game series where adjustments are huge, and I think coaching has a bigger role. The main adjustment for Sheldon Keefe, well, not really an adjustment because he's gone to it, but choosing to go with seven defensemen seems like it's been very, yeah. very key for him. Is that just symptomatic of who the Leafs have and maybe sort of just more bodies than it is quality, like quantity over quality, and that so. they have a lot of guys, but a lot of them aren't complete defensemen and they have things that you can really, really rely on, but there's not like three or four guys that have it all at the depth of that rotation. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's what it comes down to. And I, I saw that Giordano played, what, nine and a half, nine fifty, I think, in, in, in last night's game. And it was similar in the previous game. I don't have the number right in front of me. So you're not, you're not playing, you know, him a ton, too. So that means you're balancing it out with some other, you know, other guys. I, I think it's more of a indicative of, of who they have or perhaps what they don't have back there. So the other thing is, you know, and you, you guys have all heard this too, if you, if you, you have high-end guys in the least obviously a high-end guy. I don't think they've been fully committed to the series up front at times, but they were last night, and you can play them more, the Matthews, the Marners, et cetera. That's the other thing with 11 and 7. You can get them out there a little bit more. Yeah, and obviously coaching comes into play there, uh, finding the right time to do yeah. that. Uh, last one before we let you go, Billy. Uh, I'm sure you saw it. Uh, Alex Petrangelo, uh, nice, nice, healthy slash uh, on the wrist of Leon Dreisaitl. Do you think that gets him a game? Do you think it gets him more? Um, 
Boy, oh boy, you know what? Uh, it's tough. <laughs> it is tough. I think it's suspendable. I don't see how it's not with regard to the intent. Um, it's just the optics of it looked awful. Like, you know, it, it, it looked like a guy that was intending to do that. It wasn't a, a love tap little, little come down. It was a bit, it was a big one. And I don't care about the result. I mean, it, obviously if he, Leon was hurt, I said it was hurt more. There would be even more games, but I think it's going to come down to this and I, and I, they're not completely related to me, but you have the whole nurse fight, you know, nurse and egg at the end of the game. And, is that up, uh, one game suspension going to be automatically upheld by the league because there was an instigator? You could argue that the the Vegas player threw the more threw all the way six or eight punches right away, but Nurse did skate in all the way from the blue line. So I wonder, fellas, if they're going to say, "All right, one game for Petrangelo, one game for Nurse," and they wash it out that way. But if you're asking me specifically about Petrangelo, which you are, sorry for the long-winded answer. Yeah, I think the Petrangelo play or actions are worthy of at least one game. Hey, Billy, we appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for coming on. All right, guys. Be well. That's Billy Jaffe of the NHL Network. Uh, let's get to the Wake and Rake. Wake up! Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. Uh, I'm going to start with the anchor selections, Ron and Jules. They must be enjoying their vacation yeah, rather, than, for them. rather than gambling with us. us afloat. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, three selections to run through here. Corey from Port Hope. He says he he doesn't think we're going to love this pick, but Celtics minus two and a half today against Philly is his wake and rake. Okay. We got another one from Chris and Mississauga for the <laughs> world championships, but I think the world championships on the hockey front begin tomorrow. He's He likes the first period money line against Latvia, though, for Canada. So I'm pretty sure that's a tomorrow thing we can revisit tomorrow. And one last one from Duke and the Hammer. Nuggets to clinch, plus 132. So are you feeling the Celtics or the Nuggets? <laughs> I am not feeling the Celtics. I've been riding Philly that whole series. So yeah, I'm running away from the Celtics on that one. Let's go Nuggets. You're Let's also a it. plus money guy. So yeah. we go plus 135 also, with the Denver Nuggets. This is more today. for tomorrow. Uh, beware of Latvia when they play Canada. It doesn't always go Canada's way there. So Which just... Canadian is coaching Latvia this time? That's a great point. I don't know. Look into that. Maybe tomorrow. JD Bunkus. No, he's coming up next. No, <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm going to go with the Dallas Stars in regulation minus 115. Um, I expect them to take control of the series at this point. A huge, huge bounce back victory in game four to even the series. They now go home. That's kind of been the pattern here for Dallas. They start off a little shaky. They figure out their opponent and then they sort of take control. So I think Dallas in the nightcap tonight gets it done. I think Dallas Probably wins by a couple goals, and we could chase the plus money there. It's also plus 135 on the puck line. But I will go with regulation and minus 150. I like that. I like that. I'll be honest. I had no clue where to go today. I was looking at a lot. Nothing I felt convicted about. So I'm just going to put it on Greg Wyshynski. He said, I didn't say it. He said his devils are going to win tonight plus 110 on the money line. I'm not going to get cute with regulation. I'm not going to get cute with a puck line. Just give me devils straight up to win anytime. Any, well, it has to be tonight, but you know what I mean? Uh, regulation or, uh, or overtime, whatever it comes to plus one, uh, 110, uh, the stars in regulation nuggets and devils on the money line gives us a plus 822 Ooh. big time plus money. With today's wake and rake, uh, we didn't get to the Blue Jays this morning. Yeah, let's yet. talk about them. You had some. You wanted to spit yeah. some hot fire uh, on the Toronto Blue Jays after Kevin Gosman goes out there, has another great outing. Jordan Romano <laughs> blows the save. They lose in extras. It's the second time in a row that the Blue Jays have lost mm -hmm. both the Manoa and Gosman starts. They get swept in a two-game series in Philly. 
your thoughts on what you saw yesterday. I was, I'll be honest, when I was texting you and producer Jeff as a party about that, I was pre-mad about the Leafs, okay? I was pre-angry at them, so that's where a lot of it was coming from. But, my God, Bo Bichette, you have to make that play. That is not a make it 90 times. No, that is 100 out of 100 times. That is the easiest play. You had all the time in the world. Harper was not running hard, and you just sail it. And this is the conversation we are always going to bump into with him. He can do whatever he wants at the plate. And when it's going well, and there aren't the egregious errors like this you could talk yourself into, that's fine. He is playing not a premium position, the most premium defensive position in baseball. Okay, maybe center field if you want to talk yourself into it. I won't. He's a shortstop. This is a team that has prioritized defense. He is under contract for his three RB years. Feels like that's the time they're going to take to figure out whether or not he is really a shortstop or if he needs to be moved elsewhere. If he was doing this for some team that didn't have World Series aspirations, you'd say, that's fine. Go hit and we'll see what the defense is. But that's not the scenario this team finds itself in. This team wants to win. Pennants, World Series, all that mm-hmm. stuff. And you're not going to do it with a guy airmailing easy throws like that. And if it was a one-off, you say, ah, stinks. What a bad way to lose a game. But it's not. He does this a lot. Yeah, he rushed it. He definitely rushed it. He wasted a great Kevin Gosman start. He wasted a brilliant defensive play from Tim Mesa Mm -hmm. to corral that comebacker and put themselves in a position to get out of that inning. But, uh, yeah, the the throw sails on Bichette. And, uh, you know, he also wasted a big moment from Brandon Belt. He yes. had the solo home run that put them in position to win. He's Jordan, alive. Jordan Romano, certainly, uh, you know, uh, he's 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 to blame as well for mm-hmm. blowing the save. For sure. Uh, but, yeah, if we're taking positives, Brandon Belt sort of, like, we were talking last week with Shulman. We had Shulman on yesterday. We were talking last week with Shulman, and we're like, we've reached potentially the end here with Brandon Belt already. And then a week later, it's like, oh. Brandon Belt solidified his spot as the guy that he was supposed to be when he was brought in here. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but maybe just a reminder for all of us out there, baseball seasons are so long. Mm-hmm. So just, you, you need, like, and buddy, I've been doing Leafs takes all week. They've been spicy, but you might want to dial back the hot takes this early in baseball season. Not saying that at you, just a healthy reminder for everybody out there. No, it is a healthy reminder. But again, you could say that about Bichette, but this has been a theme, right? We've seen this time and time again we've seen this movie before and it's unfortunate because as you laid out he's playing a premium position and it costs you a ball game and an important one at that i mean the rays keep winning i don't know if they won last night but i'm just gonna assume that they keep winning because that's what they do and they lose every time you lose a game every time you lose a series let alone get swept you are losing ground in the highly 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 competitive american league east they lost last they night? lost two to one to the o's oh it's okay then bo yeah no, oh, the O's won. It's still, yeah. The O's won. Yeah, here's the thing. Uh, Someone's got to lose. The AL Beast, uh, there's never an off night. Somebody's picking up a game every night. Uh, another big night on the network. Of course, we have two games in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Carolina Hurricanes will look to dispatch the New Jersey Devils, our New Jersey Devils, right. at least tonight. <laughs> tonight. Uh, Carolina looking go, looking to go to an Eastern Conference final. And uh, yeah, they are favorites to win the Stanley Cup and the Eastern Conference based on, actually, no, the Oilers might have. Might be back ahead. Maybe back ahead in the Stanley we'll Cup see. odds. But Carolina in a great spot. And then Seattle and Dallas tonight in the second half of the back-to-back. We're running out of back-to-backs, unfortunately. We're getting to the point where we're going to one game, one hockey game at night. And that's, you know, it's disappointing to me. It's so sad. Uh, you know, normally I have this round to kind of uh, acclimatize myself to the one game a night because I'm I'm weeping my leaf tears. But I've actually been invested the second round this year. And all of a sudden we're going to be to one game a night. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost over.
Uh, Blue Jays are off today. Uh, this is the final. As you know, it's a bit of a lax week for the mm-hmm. Toronto Blue Jays. Very. Two off days with on? the two-game series to work. in Philly. They got the Atlanta Braves, who are very, very, very good coming into Toronto this weekend before embarking on what is a very busy schedule for the Blue Jays. So, Will AA be in town? Sorry? Alex Anthopoulos, his oh, he Braves. Be. He I'd be. like to see him. Oh, you come. You definitely come and Take do the a rounds. Lap. Yeah, why not? Shake some hands. I mean, he has a lot of reason to puff out the old chest. He will Alex be on Anthop- Blair and Barker today, we've heard. There, there we, we go. go. So we will figure out exactly what his plans are <laughs> for the weekend. But yeah, big weekend for the Blue Jays. A big stretch coming up for them. We'll see how legitimate they really are, I think, over the next month and change. And it begins with the Atlanta Braves. We will tee up game five of the Eastern Conference semifinal between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers tomorrow one more game at least to talk about Gunner looking forward to it we'll chat then can't wait you know don't really give a fly and uh, you know what the next words 